7, you should be there. Chapter 7. We do read, Then a man of Kerjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kerjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And so, Father, as we open another chapter, as uh, we continue going through the scriptures and through this wonderful book of First Samuel, we see that this chapter has so much for us uh, as we look and see that the people return to you and uh, dark days come to an end, the days of the judges, and now uh, the people are, are turning back to you and they're going to be blessed. And so as we come to the end of this year, what my prayer is is that we once again would have understanding that you would uh, help us make application. And Father, that uh, we would just learn and, and see your goodness and your faithfulness once again. And so may we be attentive tonight, our ears open to you, our hearts soft towards you as we go through your scriptures once again. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. And so it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in First Samuel because last week was Christmas and we had our Christmas Eve service. But I just want to remind you that the Ark of the Covenant at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 7 has returned to Israel. And you recall that in chapter 4 that it was captured by the Philistines. The children of Israel were going to war against the Philistines. So what they did is they took the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle there in Shiloh. And of course, we know what the Ark of the Covenant was. It was that one furnishing that was in the Holy of Holies there in the tabernacle, the tabernacle constructed, as we saw out there in the wilderness, as Moses was up on the mountain, the Lord gave him the law of God and then instructed Moses that Moses build a tabernacle for me. And that's one of the things that we need to keep in mind as we talk about the tabernacle, that it wasn't that Moses came to God on the mountain and said, I got this neat idea. I think that we should build a tabernacle and have these different furnishings and do sacrifices so we can draw close to you, Lord. It was the Lord that initiated the tabernacle and the priestly ministry and the sacrifices. And it was a way for them to approach God in the Old Testament. And so here was the tabernacle, of course, as we saw going through those books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It was in the center of the camp. And you recall that it was the architect covenant with a lid on top of it called the mercy seat it was made up of uh, a golden lid and two cherubim and the cherubim represented the guardians of the throne of god and of course it was the lord that said i will meet with my people between the cherubim and so it was uh, symbolic of the presence of god the tangible presence of god there amongst his people and the tabernacle being in the middle of the camp, it, it, it was that one nation, as they camped around the tabernacle, those 12 tribes, they had the presence of God with them, the only nation on the face of the earth that did. And it also symbolized that the Lord was to be the center of their lives. And so there was the pillar of fire uh, by night, the pillar of cloud by day, and, and there was the tabernacle, and the high priest, of course, was only allowed to go into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat 
uh, on the Day of Atonement. So there was the Ark of the Covenant, there in the Holy of Holies, in the wilderness wandering. When you come to the book of Joshua, when the children of Israel took the land and they began to, the different tribes, get their inheritance, of course, the tabernacle would then go to Shiloh. And Shiloh was kind of in the center of the country. And there the tabernacle, we know, would be there, as far as we know, for almost 400 years till 1 Samuel chapter 4. And so there was, once again, the Ark of the Covenant that was there. And being there in Shiloh, it was, once again, kind of in the middle of the country, symbolizing that God was still in the center of their lives. And the Lord today, as we as Christians have the Lord that dwells in our hearts and, and with those cherubim we we can look at the visions of of heaven in ezekiel's book and in the book of revelation chapter four and we can see the description there of the throne of god and what was around the throne of god it was the cherubim and the seraphims and the four living creatures those angelic creatures so those cherubim did represent guardians of the throne of god and the presence of god and God was still amongst them as a nation. And we know that as Christians that Christ dwells in us and he sits on the throne of our hearts and he desires to be the center and the priority of our lives, every area of our lives. So here are the children of Israel. They go into the promised land that was uh, conquered as Joshua would lead them. But then we saw the days of the judges. And the days of the judges, of course, was a very dark time where they were in rebellion and worshiping other gods and idols and involved in false worship. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 4, here is Eli. He is the high priest. He is also judging Israel. Israel's their hearts aren't right with the Lord. They have been in rebellion and involved in idol worship. So they took the Ark of the Covenant out of the Holy of Holies and it was Eli's two sons that would lead the children of Israel with the Ark of the Covenant into battle. And what happened was is that the children of Israel thought that the Ark of the Covenant was going to give them victory. And they weren't really looking to the Lord. They were looking to a relic. They were looking to this furnishing to give them victory. And you see, people today do the same thing, don't they? Sometimes people will look to uh, a, a religious... Um, relic or or to look to some ritual or something and they think that they will have a right standing before god or or you know that is what is makes them spiritual and we know as christians that we are to have relationship with god through jesus christ and devotion to him and that's what was missing in the nation they had turned away from the lord and here they were turning to this this box this golden box that wasn't going to bring them victory. It was the Lord that was going to bring them victory. And so they went out to battle. And of course, the, the children of Israel ended up fleeing the battle lines. 30,000 were killed. Eli's two sons were killed, and the Ark of the Covenant was captured. So Eli, when he gets news that the Ark is gone, he falls over dead, and he is uh, one that, that um, you know, is gone now. And then we know that it was one of Eli's daughter-in-laws that gave birth to a son and as she did she would die giving birth but she would call her son Ichabod which means the glory has departed but as we discussed in chapter 4 the glory of God had departed a long time ago because there was no true devotion to God and, and there wasn't that that dedication to him and a heart for him that was long gone because the people's hearts were after other things and other idols and you know what it's true in our own lives and with people Sometimes people think if I can just go through this ritual or, 
or look to this relic or whatever it might be that, you know, the glory of God is here and, and, and I'm close to God, but it's relationship as we have talked about. And that's what God wants. He wants our hearts. He wants us to grow in our relationship and intimacy and closeness with Him. And that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that we get to know Him and to love Him and walk with Him and to know about Him and allow Him to speak to us as He speaks to us through His Word in the still, small voice. And the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, and it's wonderful to just have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so the Ark of the Covenant is gone. The glory had departed, but it had departed a long time ago. It goes to the territory of the Philistines. And, of course, we saw in chapters 5 and 6 how it was a plague that would go through the territories of the Philistines. And then they said, we've got to return the ark. So they put it on a cart with two milk cows. And the ark came back to Israel. And first it came to Beth Shemesh. But then it ended up, as we have just read, in kerjath Jerim, And it ends up at the house of Abinadab. And it, his house is on the hill. They consecrated Eleazar. And, and there's a wondering of Bible scholars, is he from a priestly line? It seems to indicate that perhaps he was as he is consecrated, and that's what they would do with the priest, but we don't know for sure. But we do know that the ark would remain in his house for 20 years, and the next time that we see the ark of the covenant mentioned is going to be in Second Samuel chapter 6, when David comes here to his house and will take it back to Jerusalem where David is desiring to build a temple. And, of course, David would not build a temple. His son Solomon would. But David would make the, the preparation for his son Solomon to build the temple. And part of that was bringing the ark up to Jerusalem. And so that's what he would do. And so the ark is in this man's house for 20 years, and he's blessed. And there's the presence of God. And, and I'm sure it was an incredible thing for this man uh, to have that 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 ark of the covenant there in his house and one of the things i want to remind us of as we will be entering into new year what my prayer for for my family for your family my house and your house is that the presence of god would be real and felt that the glory of god would be in your home as as you speak of the things of god as as the atmosphere of your home is i give priority to the lord and we talk about the things of the Lord and the praises of God are spoken here and the things of God. And, and we desire to honor the Lord in our homes. And that's when you're going to really sense the presence of the Lord. And that's when the glory of the Lord is going to be manifested in your home. And so here was the ark in, in this man's home for 20 years. And then in verse 2, notice that it says that all of the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And they had reason to lament, didn't they? I mean, for all these years, here they were. They were ones that had turned away from the Lord, and the consequences that they went through because of that was very, very difficult and hard. And any time anyone turns away from the Lord and they go after the idols of the world or the pleasures of the world, they will experience the same things that Israel has experienced for all these years. In the days of the judges, we're going to see that the days of the judges are now going to come to an end. And in verse 3, they're going to turn back to the Lord. And what we're going to see in verse 3 is a beautiful model of what true revival and repentance is all about. But they're lamenting. And I'll tell you this, that anytime any of us 
that we turn away from the Lord and the things of the Lord and we go after the idols of the world and the pleasures of the world, we will experience defeat and we will experience, you know, discouragement and, and bondage and we will experience being impoverished, that is, spiritually. And we will go through difficulty and darkness ourselves. Sometimes people will say, oh, you know what, I'll just kind of live the way that I want. I can always turn back to the Lord. I can always come back to the Lord. I praise God that we can turn back to Him. And we can come back after a time of perhaps backsliding or a time where we fall. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When we sin, certainly we do. But may we never, ever as Christians have the mindset of I can just go live any way that I want and I can always come back to the Lord and He'll forgive me because you know what will happen? You will end up lamenting. You will end up experiencing discouragement and defeat and bondage yourself in your life and very negative consequences and repercussions because you're going after the pleasures of the world or the idols of the world or you're going after sin or you have compromise in your life. And the mindset of the Christian is to be, Lord, how close can I get to you? How can I live for you? Lord, I don't want to stray off and get away from you. But you've called me to live for you because your ways are good and right. And there is blessing in walking with you. And so what my prayer again for this year is that we would be ones that we would say, Lord, we want to stay close to you. I want to stay close to you. I, Lord, I want to know you more and have a heart for you. And so we see that they lamented, and they had plenty to lament about. And so verse 3, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all of your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asteroids and the, and that are among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And so they were told to turn back to the Lord. And I think... As we see, we don't know how much time has passed exactly between verses 2 and 3. Um, we know that the ark was there for 20 years until David came and got it. But how long between verses 2 and 3 that the people lamented and then as they would now put away those idols of Baal and Asterisk and some of the others. And it's a beautiful verse, as I mentioned to you, on what revival really is and what repentance is all about. As I've been in ministry for going on 19 years in full-time ministry and being a Christian for, for many years, you know, uh, you know, beyond that, that I've heard of revivals that, you know, have gone through the church. And, and I, I've looked at those revivals, and I've heard the leaders of those revivals, and some of those revivals are based on really weird stuff. And, and I remember when we came up here to Greeley to to start Calvary Chapel, we came up here because we wanted to come and, and, and just teach the Word of God chapter by chapter and verse by verse and take you through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And that was our vision, and that's what God had told us to do. And Because I know that the teaching of the Word of God is what's going to grow you and mature you. And the Word of God, you're going to know Him. And as you know Him, you're going to fall more in love with Him and draw closer to Him. And as you fall more in love with Him, what's in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. And so knowing the Word of God and going through the Word of God and knowing the Lord and walking in His wisdom, the benefits of knowing God's Word. And I know that's where revival will break out in your own life personally and in with your family and, and in the community as the Word of God goes forth. 
one of the things that I've been so blessed to be a part of is the whole Calvary Chapel movement is I believe that revival has been happening through the Calvary Chapels for 30 years now. And it's because there's been an emphasis on the teaching of the Word of God. When Pastor Chuck, back in the 60s, began to minister to the hippies down there on the beaches, he'll tell you how he prayed for them and, and, and just simply was teaching the Word of God. And they were coming and they were getting saved and they were growing in the Word of God. And, and all that took place because he was committed to teaching them the truth and teaching them through the Scriptures. And so as you look at the book of Acts, when you see that revival broke out, for example, when the church was there in Jerusalem, it started and spread through what? Judea and then Samaria and, and then the ends of the earth. But as the church began to spread into Judea and Samaria, it says that the word of God increased and many were added to the church and many were getting saved. And then as it went the gospel spread throughout the Gentiles there in Proconsular Asia and elsewhere. It says that the word of God was multiplied. And so whenever there was revival, there was the truth of God's word and that was being preached. And I've heard revivals that have happened in the church over you know, the last 20 years where it was based on making animal noises or barking in the spirit or being drunk in the spirit or laughing in the spirit. And I remember when we first came here, that was a big thing in the church that was sweeping through, you know, every community and throughout the nation. And churches used to call me and say, hey, we're having this new revival and, and you know, this guy coming and why don't you come join us? And, and um, you know, I would ask them, what's it based on? And, well, it's a new anointing and, and all of this. Or you could go to Toronto and get it. Or you can go to a place in Florida. Or go to Kansas City or whatever it is. And I used to think, where in the scripture does it say that revival starts by howling like an animal in the spirit? Where is that? And it was, it was foolishness. And true revival comes as a model here in verse 3 as we see here, I think, that first of all, there is a returning to the Lord. If anyone is here tonight that you've never really turned to the Lord, it starts by turning to Him and understanding that Jesus Christ came and died for you on Calvary's cross because He loves you. And all of us have sinned. With the gospel, there is the good news and, and there is the bad news. And the bad news is that we have sinned. The good news is that Jesus came to take care of the sin problem. And that's why we need a Savior. And He is the Savior of the world. Just as we talked about on Christmas, for born unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord. And He came because He came to this world so that He would die for you and for me. That we can have forgiveness of sin. That we might have the hope of heaven as we come to Him in faith and surrender our hearts to Him. So if you've never done that, do that tonight before you leave. Before you start the new year, because today is the day of salvation, give your heart to Jesus Christ. Recognize that you are a sinner in need of the Savior Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. No one else or nothing else. And you believe that he's the Son of God who died on Calvary's cross. And you say, Lord, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you're alive. And as we talked about in our Daniel study, he is going to come back again. And we're going to come back with him and rule and reign with him. So that's the good news. But for any of us that might be here tonight, maybe you're here tonight. And maybe in this last year, 
that maybe you've been a little distant from the Lord. And maybe you haven't been as close as at other times. And maybe there have been other priorities in your life. And the Lord would say to you, return to me. And notice that he says, return with all of your hearts. You see, it isn't just a legalistic returning to the Lord. It's a heartfelt devotion to the Lord. And it was in Revelation chapter 2, as you know the verse, that as Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, he says, you've left your first love. So you need to remember and repent and return. And remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. How he loves you and wants to bless you. And it's a wonderful thing that you and I, when we do become distant from the Lord, or perhaps other things become a priority that we can return, just as they are now returning after nearly a 400-year period of being involved in idol worship. But you return with your heart and surrender to him and come and say, Lord, I come back. Lord, I come to you. And Lord, the second thing is I repent. And with true revivals, they're not only turning to the Lord with your heart, but there is repentance that happens as well. And that's why he says, put away from among you these foreign gods. Put them away, the asterisks, the Baals, the other foreign gods that they were worshiping. And repentance is a wonderful word. It's a word that's not very popular in the church today. Because whenever we hear that word repentance, it's kind of like, okay, here it comes. He's going to start really laying it down hard on us, or I'm going to start pointing my finger at you, or whatever it might be. And so there, unfortunately, are many pastors and, and teachers behind the pulpits that won't even mention repentance. They won't even mention the word sin. And it's unfortunate because part of the gospel message and what we're going to see on Sunday as we enter into Mark's gospel, as Mark just goes right into the ministry of Jesus, talking about the ministry of Jesus, he came with a message of what? Repentance. John the Baptist came, and his baptism was a baptism of what? Of repentance. And they really needed that in Israel in that day. Because for 400 years, from the time of Malachi to John the Baptist, there wasn't a prophet in the land that we know of that's not recorded in the scriptures. And what had happened, the religious life of the nation turned to to where the religious sects such as the Pharisees and the Sadducees came along and they began to come up with all their rules and regulations and were the separated ones and, and they were full of pride and, and they were putting the people under bondage and it was a legalistic kind of thing and there was an emptiness and a, and a, a bondage and a darkness in the land. So people were coming, and John said that you need to repent. It's a baptism of repentance. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was to prepare the people for the Messiah to come who was going to take away their sins. And there needs to be a turning to God, a true turning to Him, and devotion to Him. That's what John's baptism was all about. It was such a, a needed message, and it's a needed message today. And I think that the word repentance is a wonderful word, that we even have opportunity to repent and turn to the Lord. And if you're here in this year, you feel like, oh boy, there's been compromise or there have been other priorities in my life. Or maybe you've been involved in sin. Maybe you've been involved in compromise. And the message of the Lord is, I love you. 
And that's why he says, repent and turn to me. And repentance has an idea, as we see here, you put those idols away, and you are to put that sin away, that compromise, that idol that might be in your life. We can have all kinds of idols in our lives. Anything that is a priority over your devotion and love and service to the Lord. That becomes an idol. It can be possessions. It can be our hobbies. It can be, you know, pursuing things. It can be ourselves, whatever it might be. Anything that has a priority over your devotion and worship and service to the Lord becomes an idol in our lives. And the Lord says very lovingly to all of us, if there's any idols, put it away. Put it away and turn to me. And as you repent and turn to me and yield to me and have a heart after me, what you will have is true satisfaction and fulfillment. And you're going to be blessed and joy will be a part of your life, that joy unspeakable and that peace that he desires to give to you. Because you know what? It's not going to be found in the idols and the pleasures of the world. You may have satisfaction and fulfillment for a short time, but it's going to come to where you're going to end up being empty. And you're not going to be satisfied. Because God has made us to worship. He's made us as human beings to worship. And people may say, well, I don't worship God. I don't believe in God. Then you worship yourself. But you're going to worship someone or something. And the Lord says, worship me and make me the priority of your life. And then you ultimately will be fulfilled and satisfied in life. So here, number one, true revival starts with turning to the Lord. Second of all, repentance. And then thirdly, prepare your heart for the Lord. How do we prepare our hearts? We prepare our hearts by knowing Him. We prepare our hearts by growing in His Word, by being steadfast in the faith, by continuing to grow in Him. And I have said this repeatedly, and I'm going to continue to say this, but I don't know any other way to grow in the Lord than to be ones that you're growing in the Word of God, that you're ones that you are submitted to the Lord, that you're one that is sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God as that newness of life is being worked out in you and the Holy Spirit is leading you. But prepare your heart. Open your heart for Him. And what I also hope and pray that in the coming year that that if you don't do this, that you would start doing this, that you would be ones that would say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to dedicate part of my day to where I'm going to have devotions. I'm going to start my day with you. And I'm going to read the word. And I'm going to be one that I'm going to be a man or woman of prayer. And you prepare your heart for what the Lord has for you. You prepare, you prepare your heart to hear him. You, you be a worshiper. And you be thankful. And that's all part of preparing your heart. That's one of the reasons, again, I'm so excited about the radio program going forth in the new radio station because the Word of God is going forth throughout the Denver and Boulder and, and Fort Collins and Greeley area now with the teaching of the Word of God. And when there is the teaching of the Word of God, then people are going to get saved and people are going to grow and they're going to know the Lord so prepare your hearts. That's the third thing that is listed here. Return to the Lord. Repentance. Prepare your heart and then only serve Him. You serve Him. It's what's being said to us here. You serve Him. Don't get into serving the world. We all have jobs. We're all out there in the world. We have a living to make. We can enjoy things of the world. Certainly we can. But don't become enslaved to the world. 
You become that bondservant of Jesus Christ. You serve him. And I'll tell you the truth on this. That as you serve the Lord, you will have a great joy in your heart. It is such a tremendous blessing and joy to serve the true and the living God. And whatever the Lord might have for you, wherever he has placed you, whatever opportunities that he's given to you, whatever gifts that he has given to you to serve, what has he put on your heart? And, and so this new year, perhaps maybe there might be somebody that's here that says, you know, I've been so enslaved in, in everything else. And life gets so busy and there are so many distractions. And, and certainly, again, we have busy schedules and we have businesses and jobs that take up a lot of our time. But I pray that, that all of us would say, Lord, what would you have me to do to be a part of the kingdom? And right now, it might be, you might be a young mother that says, right now, I need to focus on raising my children. And that's an important ministry. And you just ask God to help you and bless you and encourage you as you do that. But it might be doing simple things for somebody. It might be serving here in the church. We have all kinds of ministry opportunities. But I, I pray that we would never have the mindset of, well, we'll just let everybody else serve. Or there are people that are served and have no interest in serving him. So here we see a return to the Lord, repentance towards the Lord, preparing your heart for the Lord as you just grow in him and become a worshiper and a lover of the Lord and, and loving his word. And then it leads to serving him. Serve the Lord. And, and one of the great things about when we finish a book like the book of Daniel, when we've been talking about these prophecies that are going to come to pass that surround the second coming of Jesus Christ, and we can look at the world today and we can see that we are in the last days. And I believe that the Lord can come for us at any time. We don't know the day, the hour that the Lord comes back, but he says, I come when you're least expected. So you be watching and you be waiting and you be faithful and you be serving, and you occupy till I come, and you be about the king's business. And I know for me, I want to be serving the Lord when he comes back. And I believe that the Lord could come back at any moment, that he can come for his church. And I know that we are in the last days. We saw that very clearly as we went through Daniel's studies. If you didn't hear those studies, I would encourage you to get to MP3s or listen to those studies on the computer on our webpage. Because it is exciting to, to see the events of the world and what has happened. And it's lining up to what Daniel prophesied 2,500 years ago. We have seen that Israel has become a nation. There's the budding of the fig tree. And we know that there's still one more week, Daniel's 70th week, to be fulfilled with Israel. We see that, that revived Roman Empire and those images that that were described to us, the image in Daniel chapter 2 and then the vision that Daniel had in chapter 7 of Daniel. And that revived Roman Empire that's spoken of in which the little horn or the Antichrist is going to come out of, we could very well be seen in what is called the European Union today. We know that as the other prophecies of Scripture speaks of tension and, and wars and rumors of war, Ezekiel 38 and Psalm 83, we see all that lining up there in the Middle East. You can look at the technology that's going to be used in the last days. It's all in place. And, and you read the paper and you read the Bible and you go, wow, Lord, it is true that we are in the last days. It's happening just as you said. And so I believe that these are difficult days in which to be perhaps a Christian because I think that as we get closer to the Lord, 
as Paul said, that there are going to be many that are going to have an itchy ear. And one of the things that we know in the last days before the second coming of Jesus Christ in the tribulation period, there's going to be a false worldwide church. And so all these things that, that are signs that are pointing to the soon return, and it could be very difficult times for us to be ministering, but also very exciting times to be ministering as well. You and I could be that generation that we see the Lord come back, that the rapture happens. And I don't know about you, but I want to be found the faithful and wise servant. And I want to serve him all the days of my life. And as we talked about last week in Daniel chapter 12, he is going to return and establish his kingdom. And then as the scripture says, you and I get to rule and reign with him. And so Jesus talked a whole lot about that as well as Paul the Apostle. That as you are faithful in the things that God has given to you, the opportunities, the, the giftings that he's given to you, and just those small things. And, and, and as you desire to serve the Lord, he says that I'm going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Come enter into the joy of your Lord. You will be ruling over ten cities and five cities and two cities. And I think, wow, how exciting. What does that all mean? It means that we are going to have opportunity to serve when he establishes his kingdom. And so now we get opportunity to be faithful in serving him. And, and that's going to play a role and a part of what we're going to do in the millennium kingdom. I don't know exactly how, but that's what the indication is in Scripture. What I'm saying is serve him. What I'm saying is you keep the kingdom of God a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And I pray that this year you would say, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? If you're not moving in the giftings that God has given to you or the ministry that he's put upon your heart, you seek him. And there's all kinds of ministry opportunities with the children and with serving people in the coffee shop, with with in the bookstore, all kinds of needs. There are all kinds of opportunities to serve in very practical ways, in very simple ways. But you will find that as you serve him, there will be great joy in your life. And as the scripture says, there will be rewards when we go stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. And make sure that you serve because, first of all, because you have a heart for the Lord. And you've made him the priority. And that you're living for him. And Lord, now I want to serve you. Well, verse 4, So the children of Israel put away the bales and the asterisks, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. So now the days of the judges have come to an end. They've turned back to the Lord. They've put away the bales and the asterisks. And, and here on this day, it says they poured out as they drew water. They poured out that water on the ground. It speaks of, of commitment. They were saying, Lord, we are committed to you, pouring out our lives to you. You remember that Paul the Apostle in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that he would tell Timothy in his last words that we have recorded in the New Testament, Timothy, oh Timothy, my departure's at hand. And I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He is saying in that, that, that I've committed my life to the Lord. And I've given it all for the Lord. 
and, and I've served him. And that's what they're saying here. Is they're pouring out this water on the ground. It was a sign of commitment, pouring themselves to the Lord and being committed to him. And then Paul would say that I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we would come to the end of our lives, that we would be able to say, I've run the good race. I've kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I've been poured out like a drink offering. Just giving it my all to the Lord. That's what my prayer is. Revival taking place in our hearts and, and in our families and in this church. That we would really go for it in the Lord and make Him the priority. Because if you're making the world the priority, then you're putting your priority in the wrong thing. Because the world's going to come to a terrible end. And the things of this world are going to come to an end. And it's only what we do for Christ is what's going to last in the kingdom of God. So put your priority in Him and, and in the things of God and serve Him and be committed to Him. And they confess their sins. Confessing just simply means being in agreement that we've done wrong, Lord. So this is an important day, an incredible moment in their history here. And then verse 7, when, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And, and, and as when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And of course, you can understand that they're afraid because they had been in bondage and under submission to the Philistines for quite a while here. But I will say this, that any time that you do have revival take place, in your heart and in your life, as you begin to really be committed to the Lord and as you're growing in the things of God, you know what's going to happen? The enemy is going to take notice and he's going to stand up and he's going to come against you. And that's what happened here to the nation. The Philistines are coming against them. And the enemy, Satan, will come against you as you are growing in the Lord and as you are maturing in the Lord and as you've committed yourself to the Lord and saying, I'm going to serve him. Don't think that he's just going to stand idly by and do nothing. You are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And he is a roaring lion, as Peter says, looking to devour you. And he will come and do battle against you. So... Are we to be afraid? We don't have to be afraid. And the message of the scripture is, is that he has been disarmed, as Colossians chapter 2, because Jesus died on Calvary's cross, wiping out the handwriting requirements, and thus he's disarmed principalities and powers. In other words, Satan has no direct authority over you, but he is still powerful. He's still a deceiver. He's still a liar. He can still present himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians, and he's still going to do battle and throw those fiery darts at you. So you make sure, I am to make sure, that every day we put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation. That is, that you make sure that you hold every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Renew your mind in the things of God. Be careful what it is that you're taking in. Make sure that you are having a consistent taking in of your mind of the praises of God and, and, and the word of God because there's a lot of junk that can come into our minds to pollute our minds. And so having the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the breastplate of righteousness, all those pieces of armors, you make sure that you are putting on the whole armor of God and as you do, and as you're committed to the Lord, as James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I'll say this, that I think the devil is the one that needs to be afraid, and he is. You see, when he sees you, Dad, 
that you're on your knees and you're praying for your wife and for your children, the enemy's going to tremble at that because he knows that there's power in prayer. As you're one, that you gather your family for devotions and you're, you're praying with them and the praises of God are being heard in your home, he's going to tremble at that. When the leadership here of, of this church gets together and, and we pray and you guys are, are really committed to prayer and lifting the families up and the people up in this church as I am doing that, the enemy's going to tremble at that. Oh, he'll still come at us and he'll come at your family. But he's the one that's going to flee. He's the one that's going to be trembling. He trembles at the man and woman of God who's devoted to him and praying and seeking him and knowing him. But the enemy is like a wounded animal. And he's going to try to do anything that he can to come against you and I and be aware of that. And especially when we have spiritual victory. He will rise up because you are a threat to him and to the kingdom of darkness. And so here the enemy is coming against Israel, the Philistines. And so verse 8, so the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord for our God for us, for that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel, pray for us. It's going to be in chapter 12 that Samuel's going to say, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Isn't that an incredible verse that we'll read again when we get to chapter 12? You see, I don't want to, to sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you guys or for my family. I want to be a man of God that is praying for you. and Praying for those that I know and for my family. Pray for us. And a true spiritual leader is going to pray for the people that he ministers to and to the people that he knows. And so pray for us, Samuel. And Samuel took a suckling lamb, verse 9, and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And all the men of Israel went out of Mizpah, verse 11, and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as beth Car. And then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called it name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And so he sets up this stone here as the Lord brings them victory. He confuses the Philistines. He's, he promised that as you follow after me, I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to defeat the enemy. Jesus Christ has defeated the enemy as he went to Calvary's cross. And you and I have victory as we just follow after him and love him and are devoted to him. And here was the stone um, that is set up, and, and they would call it Ebenezer, which means stone of my help. And Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation, isn't he? He's our refuge. He's our strong tower. He is there in a present uh, help that we need, that is right now as we cry out to him. And Jesus said, you be the wise man that heard these sayings of mine and did them as the one who would build his house upon the solid foundation so when the winds and the rains came and the storm blew against the house, it was able to stand. As we enter into a new year, you guys know that there will be times, seasons, days where it will be difficult or there will be storms that will come into your life if you're not going through one right now. The winds will blow, the winds of adversity. 
and you and I are to do is to set our lives and to plan our lives and to build our lives upon the solid rock, Jesus Christ. And what does that entail? Not just hearing what he says, but doing them as well. Being submitted to him. And you will stand strong in the Lord as you're yielded to him. And so as they're doing this, the stone of my help, again, the solid foundation of God, as they're submitted to him. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And in the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territories from the hands of the Philistines. Also there was peace between Israel and Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. So Samuel's not only just the um, spiritual leader, but he's also judging Israel. And we're going to see in the next chapter, they're going to come along and demand for a king. So it's going to change from the judges to now a monarchy is going to be set up to where the kings are going to rule. And we'll look at that next time. But verse 16, as we finish the chapter, Samuel went year to year as the circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. But he also returned to Ramah, for his home was there. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this wonderful chapter that we read, and once again, just being encouraged and blessed. And Lord, I just, we just want to come tonight. And I pray that if there's, there's anyone here tonight that they've never truly surrendered their heart to Jesus Christ, Know that it's coming in faith and believing in Him. Jesus came to die for your sins. Jesus came to give you hope. Jesus came that you might have right relationship with the Father. That's why He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And He loves you. And you come in faith and you just... Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you. And thank you, Lord, for dying for me. And I believe that, that you shed your blood for forgiveness, and I ask that you would forgive me, a sinner. Come into my heart, be my Lord, be my Savior. Because you are the Savior of the world. You are the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. And I believe in you. And I trust in you for salvation and forgiveness right now. And if there's anyone here tonight that perhaps that as we close this year, maybe your heart has been distant from the Lord. You haven't lost your first love, but you've left it. Maybe other things have been a priority, whatever it might be. Maybe you're doing good things. But your devotion and your, your commitment and your love for him has drawn cold. And the Lord is saying to you, return to me. That you would just right now give your heart to him and say, Lord, that I want to, I desire for once again to make you the priority in, in my first love. And Lord, I do that. And once again, I'm reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness and what you've done for me. And you've made me alive. You've forgiven me. 
Oh, Lord, may I keep you the priority in this new year coming up. And may I just grow my love for you and my knowledge of you. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe you've been involved in compromise or sin. And God is calling you to repent because he loves you. And he's calling you to put away that thing or that sin or whatever it might be, to put it away is his command and to turn to him. And you can pray, Lord, I have been involved in sin. And Lord, I have done wrong. And I confess that it is wrong. And Lord, forgive me. And Lord, help me to put it away once and for all and to turn to you, to turn directions and to yield to you and to walk with you. Free me. Lord, free me from any bondage that I'm in, any addiction I might have. Lord, any excuses I might be making and just simply rely on you and by the power of the Holy Spirit, may you just free me and help me to live that life after you. And for all of us, may we be ones, Lord, that we just are totally committed to you in this new year, just growing closer to you, desiring to serve you. Lord, as a church, I pray that we would just be ones, that we would be a light. As we go out of this place, we would stand for righteousness and truth.